Not for all the tea in China. If you live in the English-speaking world, you might have heard this expression before. For those unfamiliar, it's often used to refer to something one doesn't want to do, no matter the payment in rich and exotic goods. Hence the tea in China bit. But where exactly does this expression come from? Indeed, there are many countries throughout the world who drink tea for a variety of purposes. In some cultures, it's thought to contain healing properties and possesses many health benefits. In others, it's simply part of the daily routine slash ritual, a beverage consumed alongside breakfast, lunch, or dinner, sometimes all three. But where exactly does tea come from? What are the origins of this beloved drink? And how has it become a global sensation? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and today we're keeping it classy with a tea party of our own, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. As with the origin stories of many innovations and inventions, our tale begins in China. According to legend, the first tea in history was brewed in that country in around 2737 BC. The account goes that Shen Nung, a king who ruled one of the many independent states of China at the time, was seated beneath a tree one afternoon in the royal gardens as his loyal manservant was boiling water for drinking. When presented with the steaming cup, a sudden breeze caused a few stray leaves to fall in. Shen Nung, who was quite skilled as an herbalist, decided to try the accidental concoction and noted not only its rich flavor, but also its calming qualities. Thus, tea was born and quickly spread throughout his own domain as well as in the neighboring kingdoms. For millennia, it was used primarily as a medicinal drink, in which fresh leaves from a variety of plants were boiled with water. By the 3rd century AD, however, it had become part of the common people's daily routine, with the cultivation of specific leaves especially for tea having evolved into a full-fledged industry within China. But, as we know, tea wouldn't remain solely in China, though it would take several more centuries for it to be exported to other lands. By the 8th century AD, the height of the Tang Dynasty, tea had become so popular in China that one writer, Lu Yu, was the first to pen a book about it. Known as the Cha Qing, or the Book of Tea, it proved to be a highly influential text. Shortly after it was written, Buddhist monks from Japan who were in China for study read the text and discovered tea cultivation for themselves. So it was that they enthusiastically brought it back to their home country, where it's been a love affair ever since. Indeed, tea has become so integral to Japanese culture and society that an entire ceremony surrounding it was developed. Intrinsically linked with the tenets of the Zen school of Buddhism, the purpose of the ceremony, known as temai in Japanese, is to awaken all five senses both physically and spiritually. One who experiences the tea ceremony firsthand is supposed to leave refreshed, having had the mind and body joined together through inner peace and tranquility. After its introduction to the Japanese, knowledge of tea drinking and cultivation spread throughout other parts of mainland Asia. It quickly branched out to China's southern neighbor, Myanmar, or Burma, and by the 12th century, there's evidence that several tribes indigenous to northern India had begun making tea for themselves from wild plants. One such group was the Singpo people, who would pack dried and roasted leaves into canes made of bamboo or other hollowed-out branches and smoke them over a roaring fire. Tea soon proved to be a common drink among such tribes, largely for its medicinal purposes and even for its caffeine content, the latter of which provided a source of energy in order to work long days in fields and elsewhere. Tea consumption and production as a whole wouldn't catch on in the rest of the Indian subcontinent until much later, but we'll get back to that in a bit. Over the ensuing centuries, tea reached Central Asia and the Middle East via the Silk Road. This ancient trade route saw a variety of exotic goods carried through its mountain passes and desert pathways. By the 16th century, tea had arrived in Iran, where it was popular in the Safavid Persian court, as well as amongst the populace. A hundred years later, it had landed on the eastern fringes of the Ottoman Empire. The largely, at the time, coffee-drinking Turks were mesmerized by the beverage's flavor and health qualities, and quickly developed their own native blend, a black tea now known simply as Turkish tea. 
Since then, Turkey has become the highest per capita tea consumer in the world, with an annual total consumption of over 6.5 pounds, or 3 kilograms, per person. By now you're probably asking, citing Britain as an example, when did tea arrive in Europe? Interestingly enough, unlike other goods, it didn't arrive via the overland Silk Road. Instead, it arrived via overseas trade routes opened by the Portuguese. By the late 16th century, Portugal had the largest maritime empire on earth, stretching from colonies in South America and Africa to spheres of influence in India and the Far East. It was in this last location, specifically the southern Chinese city of Macau, that tea was first tasted by European merchants and missionaries. It soon became a popular beverage amongst these Portuguese traders and travelers. However, it wasn't until the first few decades of the 17th century that they began importing it back to Europe with the help of the Dutch. Soon, black and green tea could be found in the ports and markets of such cities as Lisbon, Amsterdam, and of course, London. Though hard to believe given the cultural impact it would later have there, tea in Britain began as a novelty drink that was first served in London coffee shops. At the time, it was considered a rare and exotic beverage for which few people had a taste. The first Englishman to record his experience with tea was a chap named Samuel Pepys, a famed 17th century diarist and naval administrator, who noted in a 1660 entry how he, quote, did send for a cup of tea, a tina drink, of which I had never drank before, unquote. Two years later, however, in 1662, the tea craze would be kicked off in Britain when the newly restored monarch, King Charles II, married Catherine of Braganza, the daughter of King John IV of Portugal. Upon her arrival in Portsmouth on May 14th that year, she requested a cup of tea, and after their union, the drink increased in popularity among the British royal family as well as the aristocracy. By the late 17th century, Britain's elite couldn't get enough of the stuff, so much so that the British East India Company began importing it directly from China. Taking notice of this, the lower classes soon wanted in on the action. The only problem was that importing it proved to be costly. Heavy taxes on both black and green tea varieties meant that only the wealthy could afford it. That being said, it wasn't long before the more unscrupulous individuals among the populace began taking advantage of the situation. Smugglers soon brought it into the country illegally, with the annual percentage of this contraband tea quickly surpassing that of its legal counterpart. This practice continued for the better part of a century, until William Pitt, the man after whom the American city of Pittsburgh was named, was elected Prime Minister in 1783, and brought the tax on tea down from 119% to just 12.5%, thus making tea accessible to everyone and abolishing the illegal tea market virtually overnight. By then, the entire country had fallen in love with it. Remember earlier when I mentioned how tribes indigenous to northern India began drinking tea in the 12th century? Well, for the rest of the subcontinent, it wouldn't be introduced until, in a surprising turn of events, British colonialism re-established tea cultivation to Asia on a grand scale in the 19th century. In order to make more money, as well as overcome the Chinese monopoly on the stuff, the ever-enterprising British East India Company planted tea leaf seeds, originally from China, mind you, in the mountainous region of Darjeeling and the Himalayan foothills of India. Naturally, it wasn't long before the Indian public developed a taste for the drink as well, though they soon branched out on their own. Later on in the 19th century, a wild genus of tea leaf was discovered in the Assam Plains, themselves a section of the wider Brahmaputra Plain that forms the natural border between India and present-day Bangladesh. The species proved similar in taste and look to those of Chinese origin, and it was from these that the Indians developed their own tea variety, one that's still popular there, as well as abroad to this day. Of course, tea cultivation and consumption wouldn't be limited to the Old World. With European colonial expansion, the beverage whose origins go back to ancient China would find itself halfway across the world by the 18th and 19th centuries, in both North and South America. 
Indeed, tea was the most consumed beverage of the American colonists, and was the reason for the infamous Boston Tea Party of 1773, at which time crates of the stuff were dumped into Boston Harbor in protest against taxation without representation. It also proved a highly popular drink in Canada, a colonial possession of which boasted a large British presence in its formative years. In Brazil, a Portuguese stronghold, tea was second only to coffee, the latter of which was later cultivated in the New World, as far as non-alcoholic drinks were concerned. This perhaps isn't surprising, as it was the Portuguese themselves who brought tea back to Europe from the Far East. Today, tea is consumed throughout the world, with several countries in Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Americas having cultivated their own regional varieties. Turkey remains the largest consumer of the drink in the entire world, with India a close second. The market for tea is also dominated by the subcontinent, with it being imported by the likes of Britain, Ireland, and Australia. As for China, it too continues its age-old tradition of tea farming and production, with types that have been consumed for centuries, even millennia, virtually unchanged. The health benefits of this drink have been noted by experts the world over, and it's impossible without visiting a cafe, restaurant, coffeehouse, or tea room that doesn't have a sufficient enough supply. Needless to say, China's gift to the world shows no signs of being abandoned anytime soon. In fact, it's a love that keeps on giving, and especially given its medicinal properties, will undoubtedly continue to do so for a long time to come. Thank you for coming to this not-so-mad tea party today. Tea happens to be my personal favorite beverage, and I thought an episode about its rich history would be just perfect. If you enjoyed this and all my previous episodes so far, please consider supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. Just visit podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash history loves company, all one word, and click the support button. From there, you'll be redirected to three monthly support plans that fit any budget. Listening and sharing also help, so please do so on all podcast platforms. Be sure to tune in next week for another fascinating installment of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time. Music